0: Welcome back to IHC's Navigating Within podcast. My name is Dino and I'm your host. Providing high quality, safe medical care is the primary goal of health systems. When the public is allergic to quality failures, such as preventable medication errors resulting in patient harm or death, concerns about the quality of health care arise. As experts in medication delivery, pharmacists play an integral role in preventing and managing medication errors. However, ensuring safety in the health system is a team effort. With me today is the newest member of our IHC team, Matt Pitlick. Dr. Pitlick is our medication management lead here at IHC. He's a 2008 graduate of the Drake University College of Pharmacy and Health Science, go Bulldogs, and completed a PGY1 residency with the VA St. Louis Healthcare System. Following his residency, he was an associate professor of pharmacy practice from 2009 to 2017, Practice at the VA St. Louis Healthcare System in primary care clinics. Dr. Pitlick returned to Des Moines in July of 2017 as a medication therapy management consultant. He most recently completed an executive fellowship in association management with the Iowa Pharmacy Association. Dr. Pitlick has spent a significant time practicing, researching, teaching, and serving the profession. Welcome, Dr. Pitlick. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dino. Appreciate being on. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about basically the role of a pharmacist in quality teams, specifically um in hospitals, of course. So, in your career, how has the role of pharmacy changed since you first started practicing?
1: No, that's a great question, Dino. And uh, you know, much like the whole world of healthcare, over these last ten years, there's been so many changes that have occurred. If we think in the, you know, the, the more global ecosystem of healthcare and, and payment of services and, and healthcare and insurance and how things have gone, when I started school, Medicare Part D wasn't a thing yet. And so things, <laughs> things have changed dramatically over the course of, of those you know, 10, 15 years that, that I've been in school and then out of school. You know, the Affordable Care Act came as, as I was leaving school, right? As, sure. as President Obama was coming in. So many things have changed that way. And then if we think about, you know, more specifically about pharmacy, most pharmacists, if I say, what, what does a pharmacist do? What do yeah. you think what a pharmacist does? Do you know?
0: Um, well, you know, pharmacists do handle different prescriptions, stuff like that. Since I know a lot more about pharmacy, if I ask somebody like my mom or dad, what pharmacists do, they would just say that they give you pills and and make you feel better.
1: That's and, right. That's right. You know, most of us, you know, the lay public think, you know, think of a community pharmacy, think of, a, yeah. uh, you know, a, a Walgreens, a Hy-Vee, a CVS, yeah, something absolutely. like that, right? Um, but we don't, what we don't, typically think of is a pharmacist that works in the hospital and maybe in a clinic setting as well. So really only a third to 40% of our graduates, pharmacy graduates, actually go work in a community pharmacy. You know, the vast majority go work in some some other aspect. And over the last 10 years, the growing aspect in pharmacy has been in the clinic and clinical settings. And so many pharmacists now, since we are trained, we have a doctorate we are able to perform clinical roles and clinical tasks and work with patients, physicians, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants yeah. to really help the patient achieve outcomes and achieve their goals.
0: So when we talk about quality measures and things along those lines, why should a pharmacist be included in a quality team at a hospital and what types of things can they bring to that team to help the overall quality at a hospital?
1: Absolutely. It's a great question. It's been uh, you know an important question as, as, you know, uh, measurements for Medicare and commercial healthcare plans have evolved over these last five years or so. If you look at those quality measures, what's the most common thing that's usually on there? It's some sort of treatment plan, right? An A1C that's less than seven or a hypertension goal or a patient safety goal. And what's the most common way to get to those goals for a patient specific is medications. Medication. Medications, medications is, is usually the way that those go. And the pharmacist has been trained, has been educated to be the medication expert to help a patient take those medications effectively and ensure that the patient is taking the, the correct medication for, for whatever condition that, that is needed. And so... Right that pharmacist has that knowledge and to withhold that or not have that on the team, that quality team, you're losing a vast amount of knowledge and a vast amount of critical thinking skills that could be on that team and really round out a diverse team of different healthcare professionals that have been trained and educated in very different ways. And so you can solve those problems at your healthcare system or hospitals uh, in different ways.
0: What about some barriers? What are some barriers in hospitals that is preventing a pharmacist from being in a quality team to the-
1: sure ton of barriers um communication is going to be the biggest one right communicating the to the to either the c-suite or to the the quality team that your pharmacist probably should be on the team to help with whatever issue maybe maybe it's anticoagulation right and since medication in various forms is you know the way to anticoagulate a patient A pharmacist should be on that team to help provide that knowledge to, to that person other areas, you know, you might be in a smaller hospital, a critical access hospital, and you might have one pharmacist, maybe one and a half pharmacists. Sure. And that pharmacist is spread thin doing all the other activities that needs to be done, versus you know, sitting setting aside some time, an hour or two hours a week, to be on a, a quality team when they got to be dispensing medication, providing patient care and maybe on another two, three other committees that a yeah. that, uh, hospital has.
0: How would a pharmacist or a pharmacy in general be able to influence a physician, clinician on how they practice different quality measures?
1: Sure. The, the best way that I've found and the best way I tell other pharmacists to provide that influence is to, to have some data behind with whatever it is that you're doing, and so you know you have your quality measures. And maybe it states for the diabetes, and you want to see your patients with their A1C less than seven. That percentage increase, and you you go to that position or the quality team manager, whomever that may be. You know that your measure is not where you want it to be, and then you come in with a plan to really help that situation. You know, you came in with that population health data. And then you came down to a a patient-specific piece of data where you wanted to put together a program or put together a collaborative practice agreement with a pharmacist and physician to aid in those patients whose A1Cs are way out of control and you want to really help them out to make sure that core measure and that quality measure comes down to within where the health system wants it to be. And so I found data to be the most
0: important thing to help tell that story and, and do that influence. Yeah. Data and obviously pharmacists have their doctorate. So you have that classic, maybe some old school physicians who don't want to change their ways and uh, are stuck in certain certain patterns and stuff like that, what you're saying, data makes a lot of sense coming to the table with something kind of will benefit all parties involved and ultimately the patient down at the patient level. So. Absolutely.
1: As long as you, uh, that's what I found too, Dino, you make the patient the center of this. It's the most important thing to the patient. It's not about the physician. It's not about the pharmacist. You make sure the patient's taken care of right. in the best way possible. And and that usually will provide you know the necessary influence needed to, to make sure that the
0: pharmacist is included on the team. So given the rising burden of chronic diseases in the U.S., it's critical to increase the number of primary care providers that are available to see these patients. How can clinical pharmacists play a role in the development of standing orders, collaborative practice agreements?
1: Absolutely. It's a fantastic question. I just read a stat the other day, and I, but there'll be a shortage of primary care providers by uh, at least 100000 in 2025. Which is crazy when you think about it. Right. And so one of the ways to get at this, and one of the ways I've been promoting is clinical pharmacist uh, involvement services in in a variety of ways, whether it be, you know, from all the way from the inpatient hospital to long-term care, to your community pharmacist being involved in in all aspects of of healthcare, um, your pharmacist will be there. And so you can utilize clinical pharmacists in a variety of ways to really help With chronic disease management, and like you said, Dina, we talked about collaborative practice agreements and collaborative practice agreement, meaning between a pharmacist and a prescriber, essentially. So in different states have different rules about collaborative practice agreements, but those agreements outline what the physician or nurse practitioner, the prescriber wants to collaborate or offload from their plate to that pharmacist, whether it be, you know, keep going with the example of diabetes that, you know, when a patient is referred to the clinical pharmacist to be seen that that clinical pharmacist can then order decrease, increase the dose of insulin a variety of different ways to to write it up, but those are different ways to do that so that the physician their time is sent aside for those patients that they really need to see with the critical issues, higher acuity, not the you know every three months that they need to see and call for blood sugars and yeah, stuff absolutely. like that where a pharmacist really can be that ally and be that person that can do those things.
0: In your opinion, how do we change the way patients view pharmacists? Oh, You know, you don't think about this kind of stuff that a pharmacist can do as amazing as the work that you guys do. I feel like the public does not know how much you guys actually do and how to the extent of everything. Absolutely. How do we go about changing that?
1: I think stuff like this, you know, is good. These podcasts that we can get out there. And so if they get out to, you know, more and more people and keep spreading the message that pharmacy and pharmacists is a, is a great opportunity, and a great place and a wealth of knowledge. And that it's not just about giving you know, pills out to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the more we do this, the more the media takes it. I think it's a good thing. So one thing, when I was teaching, I used to teach about history of pharmacy and, and pharmacy and the media. Sounds very exciting. <laughs> it, it, well, it, kinda, it is exciting. It is to me anyway. Maybe my students didn't think that way all the time, but it was to me. But when you think about pharmacy representation in movies and in television, what do you think of? It's not what we're talking about right now. No. Clinical pharmacists. Right. Very... The ones I think of are like uh, on Family Guy. Right? <laughs> you know, if you're a Family Guy fan. There's the incompetent pharmacist. And, and if, you know, pharmacists in movies or, you know, if it's on a uh, House, that the pharmacist on the TV show House, MD, the pharmacist was incompetent. And so as long as I think we need to start our own TV show, Dino, is what I'm trying to say here about pharmacy and, and, and <laughs> changing, it up, changing the, the message. And there's a lot of things out there right now, I mean, the pharmacy associations and, and organizations. They're trying to do a great job of getting that message out there. Yeah. But if you have a great pharmacist that you work with, tout them. Please you know, make sure that you're, you're giving their praise to the, the, you know, your bosses, the C-suite, whomever you can to make sure that we get the message out there that pharmacy and pharmacists are doing great things.
0: Now, do you think having a provider-level status would help this, Matt? Ooh,
1: that's a touchy subject. That's a very touchy subject. That is a touchy subject. So it, what Dino's trying to say, is, you know, pharmacists are not considered providers by CMS, by Medicare, Medicaid in the, in the social security act. So pharmacists technically cannot bill for their services. They get paid based on the product that they dispense. And that's traditionally the way it's been. And we've been on this movement for 60 years now to try to get the pendulum swung the other way. And this might be a controversial take, but in the way that the healthcare system is going, I don't think, I do not think that provider status is an end-all be-all right now for pharmacy and pharmacists. Okay. And point being, we're moving from this fee-for-service system to a value-based healthcare system. In the value-based healthcare system, being a provider doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. The, the bubble that we're in, it doesn't, it doesn't mean much. You have to show value. And you're, you're paid based on that value. And we've seen that within the accountable care organization model, with ACO models, and in patient-centered medical homes. When pharmacists are inserted into those and they provide service, value increases, reimbursement increases, and they're doing this without provider status.
0: That's a definitely a great way to look at it because the push right now, the major push is moving to value and that, that would make sense. I like that point of view a lot. <laughs> Thanks, you know.
1: Not all pharmacists think like that, though. That's yeah. more of a, controversial, it is
0: a very controversial take on it in the pharmacy world. Yeah, It is, because uh, my girlfriend right now, shout out, um, she is in the pharmacy school right now. Go Drake. Go Drakes. And they're talking about it in their classes. Also, it's interesting to hear from someone like you who has been involved in pharmacy for as long as you have been. So ending this podcast, pharmacists play a vital role in quality initiatives, both by taking the lead and working as part of the team. So as pharmacists continue to work toward full integration among care teams, they must endeavor to understand their organization's quality priorities, step up improvement efforts, keep abreast of changing requirements, and foster collaboration. Matt, thanks a lot for being here today. I really appreciate it. We will have another episode, so... We're going to be talking about some more in-depth quality measures, such as hypoglycemic control and various other INR measures. So look forward to that podcast. Matt Petlick will also be on that podcast with me. So it'll be a great one. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Dino.